was talking to a couple of people um, yesterday who had uh, given sermons in the church, and uh, both of them, I think, had only given two talks, and they said that they felt like they had said just about everything that they could say. <laughs> they didn't know what else they would say. And I'm sure those of you who immersed yourselves in the feeling of oneness and love and gentleness during that period or during the period that we were singing together with uh, John Hunter's song felt the questionless nature of the presence of God the problemless characteristic of the presence of God. It's so interesting that when we settle back and let God's blessing surround us, all questions and all problems evaporate. And we can't for the life of us think what was wrong just a few minutes ago. We can't for, for a moment remember having an enemy. It's not that there's anything wrong with questions or with problems or with mistakes. They're like rungs on a ladder. We should be grateful for them and we should climb them gently. But they have nothing to do with God. They have nothing to do with reality. In our heart, we know the truth. In our heart, we wish to see all people as innocent. We wish to call to everyone and say, Ali, Ali, all in free. We do wish that in our heart. And that's a good way to begin forgiving someone when it seems as if you cannot forgive them. To look in your heart and just see, would you wish to forgive them? Would you want to forgive them if you could? And of course you wish to see a world of innocence. A Course in Miracles, like so many other teachings of truth, points out that although the world itself is a world without love, it's a world in which everything lives on the death of everything else, a world in which every living thing is separate and different and cut off and not fully understood and not fully and endlessly welcomed by everything else. That even though it is a world like that and is a world that we have made, we need not worry about it. It has been blessed. The way the, court, uh, the Course in Miracles puts it is there is another maker of this world and it capitalizes the, the M in maker. There is a counterpart for everything that you see. So although we have done so much in ugliness and although we look back on our particular life and we don't see how we deserve anything, perhaps we can already see how the mistakes, the clumsiness, even the cruelty is beginning to be turned gently into something that helps. That is quite different than saying 
that it was right to have been cruel or that we would ever wish to be cruel again. I was talking to a man uh, last night, long distance. He and uh, his wife had just married. It was late in their life. They were, they were marrying late in their life. They were both on a spiritual path. And he told me how difficult it had been. And this is indeed one of the things that is surprising to people on a spiritual path. They think that when they join together with someone else, a holy relationship that may be with a parent or a child or with a dear friend, or it may be with a spouse, it doesn't matter with whom it is. But when they joined with someone and there is a purpose shared, this relationship is for the world rather than you and me against the world. When it is not an ego alliance, but it is a coming together to help, not to draw attention, not to have recognition, not to seek fame, not to make money, but to help in whatever simple, quiet way we can help. It is surprising that it is more difficult for people on a spiritual path rather than less. It is at least surprising to the people because they thought that they would have it easy. They know all the spiritual truths and they've read the books and they have the affirmations and they know how to breathe. <laughs> and they have their bed facing to polar north. <laughs> They've bought the new compass and it's magnetically aligned now. And so this relationship is going to be a piece of cake. And it's so surprising that it's not. And it's because it is an entirely different kind of relationship. It's not a relationship in which people get together to agree on what to attack, to what to, what to dislike, to agree on what's wrong with the world. It's not that kind of relationship. At least that's not the purpose of it, even though almost any relationship will have a strong element of that in the beginning. But because it's not the purpose of the relationship, it does not move in that direction. It moves in the direction of wanting to help. Gail and I spend a part of each day just closing our eyes and surrounding people in light. We decide on the people that we wish to surround in light. <laughs> That's what we want our relationship to be. That's just one of the things that we do. And if we were to turn this meeting over to testimonials for a few minutes, probably many couples would stand up and talk about what they do to help, to help others. But the ego has no defense against this. And therefore, it reacts quite strongly in the beginning. The ego calls to our separateness, to our specialness, to our individual rights, to our righteousness. You don't need to put up with this. You don't need this in your life. 
it says. It points out differences. It tells us what we have coming. What is our due? It questions whether or not our gifts are being properly honored. Are they being respected and received the way they should be? And of course, they never are. It calculates how much we have done versus how much the other has done. How many times have we given in and compromised? And at this particular time, it is calling so strongly that most relationships are only lasting a few months. But those who are on a spiritual path have even a harder time in the beginning. Not that they need to, but so often they do. And the reason is, as, is that the people's egos, their selfishness, knows that it does not have long. Because if you see yourself as one with someone else, if you see that there are no differences between you and one other person, if you put someone else's happiness first, if you seek their peace, if you simply decide, I will be this person's friend, this person's absolute friend, if you merely make that decision, what is there in you that can be called to? If you're putting someone else's interests first, and that's what it feels like, of course, it is in giving that we receive, and so we find that it is a false perception to think of putting someone else's happiness first. But that's the way it, be it begins. It feels that way at first. I will do it all. The happiness of this family, of this relationship, the happiness that exists between me and my parents, between me and my children, the happiness that is in my office, is my responsibility and no one else's. I will do it all. I will give and I will give and I will give and I will not ask what is my due and I will not look to see if my efforts are being acknowledged. What does the ego have to call to with such an attitude? There is, of course, nothing. There is no you separate from this other person, this brother or this sister, to which it can call. You love your brother. You love your sister. You seek their peace. You seek their happiness. This doesn't mean you say yes. It doesn't mean you say no. It doesn't mean that you do everything that anyone wants you to do. It means that you are truly this person's friend. Not some... Mimicry of it in behavioral terms. Some set of rules. And if your brother is first in your heart, and if you love your sister and wish only her happiness, what is there to call to? And so there will not be much ego in a very short period of time if you and one other person unite in such a way. You and a friend you and a love, you and a child, you and a relative, it matters not. Even you and your dear pet, 
It matters not where you find God. And so the ego kicks up a storm. And the person seems very ugly to us. And that is what had, had happened with this couple. They were on a spiritual path. They were working hard. They're having a very hard time. And he told me that he had prayed and prayed and prayed for something like three hours. And at the end of that time, he saw he never wanted to hurt his wife in any way whatsoever again. He never again wanted to lash out at her or turn against her because she was having a hard time. What does it mean to have a hard time? It means someone is depressed or they are weak with fear or they are angry or they are arrogant or they are selfish. Isn't it clear that someone who is selfish is very unhappy? You can't think of a selfish person or a person in a selfish state who's not unhappy. It's not possible to think of someone being angry and being happy or being weak, being like a sissy, being terrified, and being happy. And so what do we meet this state of mind with? This call for help. But what we always do, what we've always done for thousands and thousands of years, is we have attacked the person. We have pointed out their error. We have shown them their fault. We have made them feel worse. We have made them feel cut off from us. Is there any coincidence that we find ourselves before this person in this state of mind we can help. We do not know what the help will look like. We do not know what the person's life will look like or their attitude or their words or anything else will look like once we have given the help. We have no vested interest in what they will look like or how they will behave or what they will say or whether they will smile or laugh or anything else. We simply give our gift. And at the end of his time of prayer, he saw without any doubt that he never wanted to hurt her again. And he got up off of his knees. And within a few minutes, he had hurt her verbally. This wasn't a man who was physically violent, but it was a man who understood that there is more than one way to hurt. But as the book says there, as the old radio show, Eight Million Stories, as the book says, Eight Million Ways to Die, Eight Million Ways to Hurt. And all we do is judge that our way of hurting is kinder than someone else's. <laughs> and so they were calling. They knew that Gail and I had worked hard. They wanted encouragement. What could they do? There was only one thing they could do. Begin again. Forget the mistake. Treat it like a coughing fit. Our sneezing fit. Forget it. It has no meaning. Notice how many times you cough during the day. It does not have any meaning. You do not stop and say, I wonder what this means. <laughs> how many times do you reach up and itch your nose? Despite all the articles now saying you're not supposed to do that. 
I read one. There were health reasons why you weren't supposed to do it. I read one recently saying that if you do it while you're talking, you're lying. <laughs> so there is no physiological reason. It's just you want to be a liar. Um, I, I do not offer that as a bit of truth, people. I just read it. And it's not <laughs> I frankly do not believe it. Um, it doesn't have any meaning. The mistake doesn't have to have any meaning. You don't have to pause. We talk about staying in the present, but do we mean it? We talk about God being in the present. That the love we have for our brother and our sister being in the present, being absent from the past in the sense that we rake over the past, fiddle with it and analyze it and try to find ways to criticize ourselves about it. We talk about that, but do we believe it if we think that we have to spend several hours worrying about what we just did? Trying to find meaning in it. Where is the present in that? Where is the peace of God in that? Where is the beginning again? And so that's all they could do is just start over. And that's all we can do is just begin again. And that's all we need to do. It requires such little light to brush away this whole world. This whole world will dissolve in such little light. It will dissolve. And it will be such little light that it took. And where will the light come from? From your heart and from mine. And how will it come? Through simplicity. Through starting over. Through trying to forgive. By doing our best. By forgetting our mistakes. Simply saying we don't want to do that again. And then concentrating on gentleness and peace. And that's how the heart opens. And that's how the bushel basket is removed from the light of God. Now, I've told you that if you, uh, well, at least I'm not sure if it's true. It's probably not true of you, but I have found that, that if I give X number of talks, I then have a free talk because of the misunderstanding that has been generated from the other talks. <laughs> I didn't know it would happen this quickly. <laughs> I don't know when we had our last question and answer thing, but uh, it's only been uh, just two or three Sundays, hasn't it? And already, people, we've got... <laughs> we've got... Uh, much correction to do, but I, we will make this short. I feel that we, we receive so much. Those of you who weren't here walked into it. Those of you who weren't here walked into an hour of singing, of simple singing. And so you're being blessed by it. And you don't owe us anything. <laughs> and so perhaps the service won't be as long this morning.
So let me go over a few things. I spoke last time of the number one hindrance to spiritual progress. And I said that it is the belief that there is a reward in the world for your spiritual efforts. That you deserve something, that you have something coming to you in the world because you have worked hard spiritually. That your life should go a certain way, your day should go a certain way, the office should be a certain way, the house should sell within a certain time. The article you want should still be on sale. It's not on sale. That people should be on time. That bodies shouldn't get, on, get, shouldn't get sick. That things shouldn't wear out. We actually think things shouldn't wear out. We think our bodies shouldn't wear out. I can't remember if I told you or I told... Uh, a little meeting of people that we had recently uh, about uh, Dr. Hooper on, I mean Dr. Hooper, Mr. Hooper on Sesame Street. We didn't talk about that, did we? Um, I was doing something in the kitchen and John was watching Sesame Street. And it was toward the end of the program. And I heard them say to Big Bird, uh, Mr. Hooper's dead. Now those of you... Uh, how many people here have ever watched Sesame Street? Oh, good, that's fine. <laughs> now, Mr. Hooper ran the store. And uh, I remember seeing Mr. Hooper when I first started watching Sesame Street, and I, I, I remember thinking to myself, why did they get someone so old? This guy's going to die. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> now... now <laughs> uh, but still, I just, I mean, on Sesame Street, somehow it isn't going to happen. You know this. And they were trying to explain to him that, no, Mr. Hooper wasn't going to open a store. He had died. And I could not believe it. And I went in there. I looked at the TV set. John was watching it. And they were telling him, no, it's never going to come back. It's never going to come back. And I said, John... Mr. Hooper, is Mr. Hooper dead? I was just shocked. And John turned to me and said, Daddy, don't you remember? People die. <laughs> and then they started this thing about um, he's not going to come back. And John thought that was so funny that he's not going to come back. He said, Mr. Hooper's right there with them. And I had to go into the bathroom where Gail was and cry in there because <laughs> this little guy wasn't the least bit upset about it. <laughs> so I hung my head over Gail's shoulder <laughs> and we both shed a tear over Mr. Hooper. <laughs> but somehow we're not supposed to die or we're not supposed to die yet. That's always the thing. Yeah, it's okay to die, but not yet. <laughs> Somehow in a world of sickness, we're never supposed to have even a teeny little dribble from our nose. 
Somehow, because we're on a spiritual path, we should get married and it should be a piece of cake right from the beginning. And on and on and on. And so I talked about that, and there was, of course, the inevitable misunderstanding that there is then no reward. <laughs> there's no reward in the world, there's no reward. What is the thing, the song we sang from Isaiah? Uh, I will mount on wings like, like an eagle, walk and not be weary. Wall cannot be faint. I, excuse me. I, you see, I became a minister. It was just a, someone came over and used the word. Oh, I know. Someone was saying, John asked someone where their mother was. And the person said, in heaven. And John said, where's that? Or, he actually said, what's that? So people, I've only been a minister a very short period of time. And, um. The reason I do know about heaven, I'll say that. <laughs> but the reason I haven't used the word heaven with John is that I've tried to make my talks very, very simple with him. We talk about truth and we let the day, gosh, children can let the day go so easily. They're just beautiful, these little images that they do to let the day go. And how they can come up with little games to forgive people and all that. But in our little talks about truth and everything, I just simply hadn't used the word heaven. It seemed to be complicating. Uh, but I was embarrassed because here I am, a minister, and my five-year-old son has never heard the word before. And I can't quote Isaiah. <laughs> uh, but I did get this much from it. Uh, and that is that we mount... We rise on wings. And that's, of course, metaphorical, isn't it? It's symbolic. No one believes in saying that, that if you work hard enough spiritually, you're going to start having little growth pains in your behind your shoulder blade and sprouting feathers and things like that. You don't really believe that. And, of course, this doesn't mean that. Nor do you believe that God will make you lie down in green pastures. Get down in those green pastures. <laughs> he maketh me lie down in green pastures. <clears throat> I wanted to go to the waterfall. He maketh me walk by the still waters. Of course, no one believes that. Now, And so everything doesn't have to be dealt with so seriously. We want, we want our heart to open. That's what the purpose of these words are. And so it doesn't mean that you should somehow win the race because uh, you can run and not be weary. It doesn't mean that at all. Of course it doesn't mean that. Is there a reward? And when does it come? Indeed, there is a reward, and it comes right now. To the opening of our heart, there is a reward. There is another maker of this world. There is what A Course in Miracles calls the real world. And so everything that we see has been blessed. Every person that you see has been blessed. They have an outcome. They have a destiny. 
Someday, they will be as gentle and as sweet and as kind and as fully and wholly your friend as you could ever, ever, ever wish for. As a matter of fact, they will be so much your friend and so with you, and you will love them so deeply that you can safely assume that you cannot even imagine what the love will be like from just that one individual. That is what this world has been turned into. That is the counterpart. That is the blessing in which it disappears, says A Course in Miracles, in which it dissolves. And all the hatred and all the death and all the wearing out and all the sickness and all the loneliness and all the misunderstanding is swept away. And we find ourselves at peace and in God. And when can we have that reward? We can have as much of it as we wish right now. All we have to do is relax and practice the simple things that we know. And we will begin to feel this gentleness and this peace flowing into us. And perhaps there will be a healing, and perhaps there won't. A friend of mine who I'd known most of my life told me late in his life that he was now grateful that his legs had never been healed. He said, I would never have gotten this close to God if I hadn't relied to him, relied on him all these years. And he said, my only prayer now is that I will not be healed too soon. So was it a mistake because he had worked so hard to be healed and the healing hadn't come? And finally he had given up the healing. He'd even questioned the value of the healing. So perhaps there will be a healing and perhaps there won't. And perhaps this rift in your relationship with someone else will be mended, and perhaps it won't. And perhaps this dear person on their deathbed will rise up, and perhaps they won't. But what does this have to do with the truth? And what does it have to do with your function and mine? It has nothing to do whatsoever. Let it be. Let it be. And so indeed there's a reward. Be happy for it. Look at your mistakes as if they were on the part of some stranger. Leave them happily behind you. You cannot be too happy. You cannot be too peaceful. Nothing will strike you down if you're jolly. The second thing that came up was uh, extremes. We talked about extremes, not going to extremes. Now, you remember that I didn't say there was anything wrong to go to an extreme. It's just that it makes it more difficult if we go to an extreme. Sometimes it's necessary to go to an extreme. But very often it isn't, and we simply make life more difficult by ex seeking an extreme position in the world. We just we just give ourselves a harder time and we delay our path home a little bit. But this can only be seen within the person's heart. There is no way we can look at someone else and say we are put, that they are putting themselves in an extreme. Because obviously what's an extreme to one person is not to another. 
So after I talked about extremes, and there's just hundreds of them, but we talked about uh, extremes in vocabulary, extremes in dress, extremes in places where we live, extremes in health, super health, and many other things. And of course, there's just hundreds more of extremes that people seek. A man came up to me who was an architect and uh, said, yes, but I'm building a beautiful house. And, and he was feeling very badly about this. There is no prescribed behavior that represents truth. There are no set of rules about how to behave that somehow you can simply check these off and you will have the peace of God within your heart and you will look gently on all things. That is not possible. In that sense, truth has nothing whatsoever to do with behavior. It has everything to do with how you behave, what you do while you're behaving. It has to do with, with our motive, the set of our heart, our intention. Where the action is coming from within us. But it has nothing to do with the action. It is impossible to judge anyone's action and know whether or not this is helping them home. It is even not possible to know whether or not it is helping the peace of the world, the inner peace of the world. It is, of course, possible to look at people's actions and see what effect it's having in the world, but it is not possible to look at someone's actions and tell yourself what effect this is happening in helping the Son of God, your brothers and sisters, awake. It is not possible. But that is what you wish to do. You wish to look at all things and ask yourself, is this contributing to the peace of the world? Is this helping my brother and my sister awake? Is this thought helping my brother and sisters awake? Because even a thought helps or it hinders. This is nothing to be afraid of, but it is a fact. There is no idle thought. And so why do you wish not to remain depressed too long? Because it is not helping your brother and your sister. It is not bringing the children of God home as quickly as if you will simply see if there is not some way you can let go of the depression a little sooner or the anger or the justification or the loneliness or the tiredness or whatever it is to see if there's not some gentle way to at least loosen your grip a little on it. Why? Because in your heart you wish to help everyone around you. You wish to help the dear people in this room. You truly do wish to do that. You wish to be a part of that which is helping and not a part of that which is hindering. It's that simple. But we cannot look at anyone else and judge by their actions or their words whether or not they are fulfilling this function. It is impossible to do that. So I did make the statement that Gail and I were never again going to own a beautiful house. Now, that simply means that for us, we have found that
that what we think of as beautiful takes a great deal of work. And so the floors need a great deal of work and the cadenets, need a, uh, the countertops need a great deal of work. And now we've put gravel in the driveway for people who are out of state and they don't understand driving over dirt roads. And so we've got all this nice little gravel and grass is coming up and little weeds are coming up in the grass. We've never paid any attention to that in our life. But it's so much more beautiful to have a fully gravel driveway, and therefore it's more work. But who can who can determine? For one person, gravel is not beautiful and it's non-extreme, and they love to dig up the little weeds. They talk to them and they send them on their way. <laughs> Perhaps they think they're saving them lives or something, shortening the process. I don't know what they think. There's no way to, to determine these things. And someone else, a woman, wanted to know whether or not it was all right for her to enter a hundred-mile race. Was this an extreme? There's no answer to that question. A hundred miles is not an extreme for some people, and it is for others. <laughs> there's, a, there's a guy over at the Haven restaurant that runs a hundred-mile race uh, once or twice a year. It's common. He does it all the time. He loves it. It's a meditation. It's not an extreme for him. It would be an extreme for me, people. <laughs> if you wanted to end the dispensable church before the end of the year, <laughs> say, you enter the 100-mile race. And so it would not add to the peace of the world <laughs> because I would be very anxious. <laughs> And then the third thing, third misunderstanding. Yes, it is true that I have said that Gail and I were very, very busy before doing crisis work, literally 24 hours a day, answering the phone at night as well as during the day, running groups, giving talks, counseling, and so forth and so forth. And it is true that I've said that as you go along, you find deeper ways of helping. But you cannot deter, it's impossible once again to look and see what that means. For us, it meant going from the crisis line to the groups. The groups were simpler. It was reaching fewer people, but it was simpler and it went deeper. We knew we were helping more. And then we went from the groups to the dispensable church. That was simpler still. It goes even deeper. And we have simply found, although it's always been said, how much we can help people silently. But this has got to be seen. And so we do spend more and more of our time. We stop many times during the day when someone comes to our thought and we bless them and we talk to them, we talk gently to their mind. We give them our love. We see them as our brother and our sister. And I could tell you many stories about the help that this is given, but it would be deceiving. And this is why I stay away from stories. It's not that there's anything wrong with stories, but stories of how people have been helped. Because so often the ego looks at the change in appearances and thinks that's what the help was. 
Whereas the change in appearances can actually appear in terms of the world to be a change for the worse, and the person has been deeply helped. So we, do, we can't judge whether or not we have helped. But now I know that it is not possible for me to close my eyes and think gently of another person without helping them. It is impossible not to help someone by blessing them. And so we do more and more of that. And we've simply found that the time has come for, for us to move and to get in some quiet place. Because I know that for me personally, it is a gentler form of help and a more effective form of help for me personally to write books than to give a talk once a week. There was nothing wrong with giving a talk once a, once a week. But now I see a little simpler and gentler way and something that's a little bit more effective. And of course that's happening in every one of your lives. But you cannot judge someone's progress. Look at Mother Teresa. Look how physically active she is. Look at Jerry Jampolsky. Look how physically active he is. This, this, does, this indicates nothing about their progress or how far along they are. Who could be further along in the world than Mother Teresa? And yet, she does the things that she can do. And so this is so misunderstood. And the question came up, should we go and help this impoverished group? Should we go to this place and help them uh, repair their homes and bring them food and uh, dig their well and so forth? Well, of course, it's perfectly all right to do that kind of thing. Gail and I uh, have um, two little children, one in Lebanon and, and one in El Salvador, uh, that we help. Many of you do the same thing. You can adopt a child. We got the sweetest little card. Uh, we couldn't read a word of it. <laughs> it's just wonderful. This little girl had done this little card, and we were sure she was saying something very nice to us, you know. It's something that we can do. You must do what you can do. As a matter of fact, you will find it increasingly impossible not to do what you see that you can do. In the beginning, you'll be able to turn down people that need help. I don't mean that everyone who wants to talk to you should be talked to. I don't mean that the phone should always be left plugged in or any other silly thing like that. But if you see that you can be of help to someone in any way, if you see that you can make someone happier, then that will not leave your mind. It will stay in there until you have done it. And you cannot judge what that means. And so it's fine to do anything. All that we were saying and all that the Course in Miracles is saying is the effectiveness lies in stillness. That does not mean that your body is still. So in that sense, the stiller you are, the more people you help. The busier you are, the less people you help. But that has nothing to do with the movements or the activities of the body. It has to do with the condition of the heart. Now, I promised you a little bit shorter service, and so I think we'll 
end now. Let me just say a few closing remarks. And um, to you, you're going to lead us with something at the very end? Now, you've heard me say before that those of us who started this church did it for the simplest reasons that we could. And we've tried to keep it as simple as we have been able to. And that's why no one receives any money for tapes or anything else except those who... We do have one person who devotes his full time to the church and does nothing but church work and must earn a livelihood. And the, and the professional musicians uh, that we have, we pay because that's their livelihood. But John Hunters receives no money for his tapes or for his, for his music, even though he is a professional musician. But he, he was part of the church, and we, we who started it just decided to keep it as simple and as pure as we could. We wanted one thing only at the dispensable church, a place where people could hear the truth and nothing else. So we did not want to hit you over the head with building funds or community projects or growth or anything else. We found a simple way to record this on video, and so we did it. But very few people are even aware that there's a video camera set up. We turned down several offers for video teams to come in. We turned down an opportunity for this to go on public television. Whether it would have not would have or not, I don't know. But that wasn't our purpose. Our purpose was simply to have a place where people could come and hear the truth and share their lives. It is a body of people that hears the truth. The truth does not come from a mouth. It comes from the heart. And so people of like mind come together. And whether they sit silently or whether they're words, they hear the truth. They feel the truth. They feel the intention of their brothers and sisters around them. You cannot sit here and not be encouraged. You know the people around you are working very, very hard. <laughs> Except those in the back row back there. <laughs> um, no, of course there may be some that aren't working hard. And what is the truth that this little group of people start over there at St. John's United Methodist Church holding grief groups and so forth. What was the truth that we wanted a place for? It is the truth that you are so near home your hand is on the doorknob the door is not locked your father has not left you you are loved. That is the truth. What is the truth we wish to bring to you? It was that the way is so simple that there is no need to make it complicated. There is no need to read system after system and book after book and try technique after technique. All you have to do is to be gentle and kind 
and as peaceful as you can be. All you have to do is to be slow to judge, slow to get angry, quick to forgive, quick to try again. If we will just do a little, God rushes to us, wraps us in a cape of light. Jesus picks us up in his arms and carries us and says, welcome home, my child, welcome home. We have not been left alone. That is the only message. There is very little to do. It is so simple. That is the message. And so many of you have worked so hard, and we have come so far in just this two and a half years. This is not the same church that began over there in the girls' club. You have worked so hard, and you have blessed so many because of your efforts. And there's only one thing more for us to do, to work just a little bit longer. This world endures for but a second. Your problems are just a mere second. Just a mere second. Don't despair. Don't worry. Just do the best you can each day and you will begin to see the real world. You'll begin to see the counterpart. You'll begin to see the glory and the light and the love that has been poured all over even this world. You'll begin to see the face of Christ. It will not be some funny, silly, psychical experience. You'll see your brother, yourself. That's all we have to do. So let's join hands right now. And close our eyes. And simply see that the truth is true. That the way is simple. That, the, that we want to go home. That we want to see people as innocent. And let's resolve that in this coming week, we will try again. And please, with your eyes closed, hear God and Jesus and all those who have completed this work. Thank you. Hear the angels, the saints of heaven, thank you for your efforts. Hear the thank you ring in your heart like a bell. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your efforts.